Well, good morning, church. It's a warm one this morning, and uh, we kind of joked earlier this week, so I, uh, I practiced my sermon on uh, Thursday, and it was pretty hot in our office. The air conditioning ceased to work this week, um, so that was very interesting. <laughs> so it was good practice for today, because we sat through and I preached through a very warm atmosphere, and we have that again this morning. So... I'm, if you remember this morning, I am helping Je- uh, David work through 1 John, and we are at 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to give you a heads up this morning. My, my points are going to be a little bit different. They're not going to be you know, standalone points. They're going to flow into each other, and I'll read them out as we go on, and I'll make sure I make note of them, but I just want to give you a heads up that this won't be you know, point one, here's this, point two, but their points are going to flow together to have that overall feeling of the passage, because it is a very interesting passage that John has here for us. And my message entitled this morning is called Overcoming Through Jesus Christ. Now to overcome, which means, you know, there has to be something for you to overcome. There has to be something against you. We like to, you know, read books, to watch movies, TV shows of all kinds of, you know, where things with heroes or where the main character has to overcome some sort of odd. You know, the odds are against them, whether it be some sort of supervillain, an evil business tycoon, or you know, even something within themselves, some of their own feelings or past hurts or traumas. On a grand scale, we probably have, you know, in the last couple of years, we have the Avengers movies. Avengers Infinity War, we saw the Avengers face off against Thanos. And they, at, at the end of that, you know, they, the odds were stacked against them. There's a famous scene where Doctor Strange is using the time stone to look through all the possible futures. And there's a famous quote where he says, you know, how many futures did you see? And he says, 14,605. Now, that's a pretty big number. And they asked, well, how many of, of those futures did we win? He said, one. There's only one future in which we win this. I don't know about you, but, you know, the odds of one out of 14,605 are not very good odds. And sometimes we feel like that in life. Sometimes we feel like the odds are stacked against us, like, Everything is just going wrong. We just can't get ahead. We just can't win. We, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why the things are coming against us, why we can't just seem to get ahead. But we love these stories. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen you know, Avengers Endgame, they do beat Thanos. They do win. They do bring everyone back to life because that's, that's the idea of the story is that you, know, you come out on top. And we like these stories where there's victory, where we can say evil has been defeated, where we have, you know, beaten the odds, we have come out on top, and there's victory. And we love these stories, and it's, it's predictable. But we still go in, we read these books, we watch these TV shows, we watch these movies, but we know essentially what's going to happen. But I want to tell you this morning that the only true victory is found in Jesus Christ. Okay, because although our heroes may win, although, you know, the evil businessmen may be defeated, especially if you're watching a W Channel Christmas movie, you, you know the ones I'm talking about, <laughs> where it's the same thing, everyone, my, life, my wife loves them, but I always make fun that it's the same plot through every single one of these movies, and it's so predictable, but she loves them. But no matter how many times we watch these movies, no matter how many times the hero wins, it's always short-lived, because something else always comes along whether it be a comic book, whether it be a book series, whether it be a TV series, that victory is short-lived. But the victory in Christ actually puts evil underneath our feet. 
which is why I've entitled this this morning, Overcoming Through Jesus Christ. So to give you a quick recap of what we just came out of in 1 John chapter 5 and Dave's last sermon. Uh, Dave got to read through chapter 4 and you know, the whole passage on love. That's where we find the most famous verses. You know, God is love. We love because he first loved us. And John is just coming off of this great expansion of what love is. And he finishes it by saying that you don't love God if you don't love your brother. And now we come into chapter 5, and John is now going to tell us how we actually know that we do love our brothers, that we do love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want, I want to tell you right up the start that this is all possible because of Jesus Christ. Now, you might look at me and be like, well, that's obvious. We're Christians. You know, that's what we believe. You know, our whole faith is around Jesus Christ. But that's not a minor detail this morning, okay? When we look at this text, everything here is only possible through Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that this morning. So the points of my message, and I'll read them out, like I said, so they're sentences that flow together. And I'll show you in the passages where they come from. But our first one is going to be, we love our brothers and sisters by loving and obeying God. And I'll go through these again. We can love and obey God because our faith has overcome the world. We can overcome the world because our faith is in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. So that's the flow of the passage this morning. So make note of the first one if, you want, if you're taking notes. It's we love our brothers and sisters by loving and obeying God. So we love our brothers and sisters by loving and obeying God. In chapter 4, verse 20, John says that if we don't love our brothers, then we are liars because we don't love the Father. He says that we have to love our brothers, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, if we say that we love the Father. Otherwise, we aren't real Christians. And coming in to chapter 5, verse 1, and if you look in your Bibles there, John, right at, right at, right at the gate, says that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who believes in the Son, that he is the Son of God, is born of God. We, we have become a new creation in him. And we find this also from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're told we're a new creation. We're made new in Jesus. We are no longer dead in our sin, but alive in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then John is saying that if you are born of God, if you have this new birth, then we have to love everyone else who is born of God. There are instances to the contrary of this, but he's playing off of a relationship between you know, brothers and sisters, physically. And not all of us have siblings, but we have cousins. We have those around us who are like brothers and sisters. And you know for yourself you don't always get along. And there are some instances where those relationships are really bad, but for the most part, you love your brother and sister. You love those around you, and no matter how much they might get on your nerves or how much you might fight, you do want the best for your siblings. And this is what John is saying here, is that if we are born of God, then we cannot be Christians and hate other Christians. We have to love our brothers and sisters. It's just, if, they are, if we are born of God and they're born of God, then we should love them. And let me tell you right from the start, I am a twin. I have an identical twin brother. We are the same age. 
I've seen fighting already between Raylin and Isaac, who are three, three or four years apart. But I have a brother who's the same age as me. So we fought a lot. And I mean we fought a lot. We did not always get along. Um, our relationship is not bad by any means, and it's gotten much better since that we're now both married and we live apart. Uh, but growing up, mom had a very hard time with us because when we fought, we actually got into, we, it actually got physical. So we would punch each other in the face, we would hit each other, we would do whatever we could. We were typical boys, and we fought hard. And I can remember actually when I had hair and I would wash my hair, I would actually have these big old welts and bumps on my head, and it hurt to wash my hair because that's how hard we hit each other. So when we fought, so when I say I know what it's like not to get along with your brother and sister, and when we apply that to the church, and we say it's not always easy to get along with our brothers and sisters in Jesus, I understand because I didn't always like my brother. I loved him, and there were times that I did want to hurt him, but I didn't want to actually, you know, see him die or anything. I didn't want to see him in the hospital. And that was wrong of me to see hurt him, but I had to love him. He was my brother. So John is saying here in that relationship, and I'm sure you can, if you have brothers and sisters, you, you know what I'm talking about. John wants us to love our brothers and sisters. So how do we love them? You know, our first point says, you no, know, we love our brothers and sisters by obeying God and loving God. So if we love God and follow his commands, then we are automatically loving children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So by loving God and obeying him, you will naturally be loving your brothers and sisters. By following God's commands, you're showing you love God, and then you are loving your brothers and sisters. And this is because of a word we like to use called sanctification. See, after we believe in Jesus Christ, after we confess our sins to him, we believe that he is the son of God, we are justified before him and God, which means we are made right in God's eyes. He no longer sees a sin in our lives because we believe in Jesus Christ. And then as we live out our life here, as we live out that life of faith, we are made more like Christ. That's called being sanctification. It's a process. We are no longer like we used to be, but we are made more and more in his image. So the more that we follow Jesus, the more we pray and read his word, the more that we follow God's commands, the more we become like Jesus. John says that anyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. So anyone who believes in Jesus is our brother and sisters. And describes it actually as being begotten of God. Or as commentator Karen Jobes puts it, described in the same terms as a son's relationship with the father, though certainly not identical with it. So we are not of the same essence of the Father as Jesus is of the Father, as the Son is of the Father in the Trinity. But we are born anew in ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. It has regenerated us, and we have God in us. Okay? So we are made anew, and our desires are no longer those of our own, of in the world. We no longer want to do the things that we wanted to do before, you know, in Newfoundland, to get saved means to, you know, basically you don't smoke or drink. But there are lots of people who don't smoke or drink who aren't Christians. But you talk to anyone, and if you, if you did it before, and, or they find that you don't drink, it's, oh, you must, be, you must be saved, are you? Or you got saved, did you? Right? But that's, that's, that's a small example of what it means, that you would no longer do the things we do before, which is why smoking and drinking has kind of been tied culturally to getting saved. But we are created anew, so we are actually made sons and daughters of God. And I really want you to take that in. 
that God now calls us his sons and daughters, those of us who we were first his enemies. Romans 18, 14, sorry, Romans 8, 14 to 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And like, like I said, so we struggle to love our brothers and sisters. But I want you to know that struggling to love doesn't mean you aren't a Christian. John isn't saying because you struggle to love your brothers and sisters in, inside Calvary or outside in another church doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But not loving at all, that's what calls into question your love of the Father. Not having any love at all for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's hard to be in community with sinful, broken people. I mean, we can look in the mirror ourselves and know that, you know, I know I'm hard enough to put up with myself. And then everyone else has to put up with me and I have to put up with your stuff and all the junk and everything when we come in because we're not perfect people. Not one of us. We don't know a perfect Christian. We all have stuff that we bring in together. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to deal with someone else's sin or to see someone else slip up. It's not easy when I mess up or when I'm frustrated or I get angry at Dave or something in the office and he has, like, what do I do with this now? We have to deal with each other's brokenness, and it's hard. So how do we do it? And that comes into our next point. So we love our brothers and sisters by loving God and obeying him. And we are able to love God and obey him because our faith has overcome the world. So if you have Bibles there, if you're still open to 1 John, let's look at verses 3 to 5. It says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So John tells us right away that keeping God's commandments, those commandments are a burden to us. Now, we just said that sometimes working with each other can be really hard, can be frustrating. It can almost be a burden sometimes, you feel like. But John is saying here that following God should not be a burden for us. And this is likely a, re a reference, and if your mind goes there, to Matthew eleven thirty, where Jesus says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so his commands are not meant to be a burden to those who follow him, to those who believe in him. And it's not because of anything that we can do. It's not because of our amazing ability to do everything that's asked of us, to obey every word in this book. It's not because I can obey every word that my wife asked me to do, because that does not happen. I am not perfect. It's because of our faith. Okay, it's because we believe, and this is our faith, that Jesus is the Christ, that the Holy Spirit indwells in us, makes us alive in Jesus and dead to sin, and conforms our heart to God and his commands. Because we're made a new creation through Christ. This is all about the Son. See, it's not burdensome to follow him because your faith has overcome the world. If the world overthrows heresy your way, false beliefs, 
then you can overcome it through Jesus Christ and obey God. If the world throws physical troubles your way, sickness, illness, then you can overcome them still through Jesus Christ and love God. And if the world even throws emotional troubles and issues and scars your way, then you can overcome them through Jesus Christ. The world and its powers are against Jesus Christ. It's the evil in the world that wants to come against him that is opposite of God's will. Sickness cannot win over your faith, though it will test it. Financial hardships, losing your job, or even losing your faith, or losing, sorry, losing your friends cannot overcome your faith. They cannot undo what Jesus has done. So I come from a Pentecostal background. That's just how I grew up. And going to Bible college, I had a Pentecostal history course. I came across this story of a reporter during the time of the revivals on Azusa Street. And he was asked to go attend these meetings and put it in the worst light possible. That's what he was told by his editor. Go and see this, you know, these crazy Christians and write the worst thing that you can do, framing them in the worst light. And that's what we're going to publish. It's going to be on the front page. So he went, and this is a true story, he went to the meeting with all intentions of writing the worst possible article, but he got saved. And then in good conscience, he couldn't write the article that his editor had sent him there to write. So what did he do? He wrote the truth. He wrote the truth of what was happening in these meetings. He wrote you know, what is about who Jesus was, and he lost his job. He was fired because of it. But in the end, it doesn't matter because he had Jesus Christ. It didn't matter that he had lost his job. It didn't matter he probably didn't know where he was going next because he had Jesus. He had believed in the one who had overcome the world already. 1 John 4 and 4 says, Little children, and this is my last sermon from 1 John actually, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The world has already become, been overcome through Jesus Christ. And we have God in us, the Holy Spirit in us, who is greater than the one who is in the world. This is why we don't live according to our sinful nature in Jesus. Yes, we struggle with it, but we, we live according to the way Jesus would have us live. We don't have to fear the world or what it throws at us. Instead, we place our faith in him and we follow him. The Christian life is not burdensome. Okay, it can be a challenge. It can be a trial. It can be testing, but it is not a burden. It does not weigh heavily on you. And that means I'm not dreading helping a brother or sister in need. That means I'm not regretting offering to help them on a Saturday. When that Saturday comes, I'm just dragging my feet and I'm thinking, why in the world did I think to do this? It means that you accept the help as well of brothers and sisters. And, you know, when we just moved downtown, Jerry offered to help me mow my lawn. I mean, he didn't have to do that, but he was willing to. And I don't think it was a burden at all to him. We had some conversation after, and it, it was great. And even taking up your time to serve one another is not a burden because we love one another. And we love God. 
Living a godly life in light of what Jesus has done for us should be all the motivation we need. It's not out of some weird sense of duty that I have to get in God's right books, that I have to be good enough. That's not our faith. It's believing that Jesus paid the price on the cross in our place. He bore our punishment. And being in sheer awe of the fact that God would dare send his son to die in my place, to die a criminal's death so that I might live. Why wouldn't I want to follow and obey a God like that? I, Howard Marshall, said this in his commentary. Nor is such a faith a means of escape from conflict. So our faith is not an escape out of conflict. But on the contrary, it is right in the middle of evil's display of power that the believer is able to call its bluff and proclaim the superior might of Jesus. That when we find ourselves in the middle of those burdens, when we find ourselves in the middle of what the world is throwing at us, we can stop and say, no, Jesus has already overcome this. I trust in him. You cannot undo what Jesus has already done. Our faith in Jesus is what makes these commands not burdensome. Because honestly, if you're outside of the church and you think that you've got to deal with other people's sin, that you need to serve, you need to love, you need to think of others as above yourself, and that life is no longer about what you want, it seems almost impossible to do. Improbable. Forget Philippians 4, 12 to 13 says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is, this is a perfect fitting forward. Which means I can love my brother and sisters because of Jesus. Which means I can help them with their sin because of Jesus. They can help me when I mess up, when I screw up with my sin because of Jesus. That I can learn to be content in all situations. That whatever the world throws at me, whether it's in plenty and hunger, whether I'm high or low, that I can do it through Jesus Christ. So we love our brothers and sisters by loving God and obeying him. We are able to love God and obey him because our faith has overcome the world. And our faith has overcome the world because it's in Jesus Christ. So who is this Jesus then? If our faith in him is what enables us to overcome the world, if that's what makes it possible to love God, if that's what makes it possible to follow his commands, to love our brothers and sisters, then this Jesus must be a pretty important guy. So after verse 5, John makes a switch. So he switches from a love, obedience, and faith to who we place that faith in. He starts about you know, loving your brother, following God's commands. They're not burdensome. He's overcome the world. And then he switches to the one who has overcome the world from verses 6 to 12. If you remember, John was likely dealing with some sort of heresy being taught here. And although we don't know what heresy it was exactly, most commentators would now agree it was a belief that the Christ spirit had come on to Jesus. So basically that the second person of the Trinity, the spirit of Christ, 
and dwelt or possessed the man Jesus at his baptism and it left before he was crucified on the cross. This is likely the heresy that was being, that was being taught. So they were teaching that Jesus was a man. Check, we believe that. Right on. But then, that, like I said, the Spirit came on him at his baptism and then left before he was crucified. Not so much. We don't believe that. No, not a chance. So this is the reason that John was so insistent in his gospel and in this passage that you had to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. It was essential, and it is essential today, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. Because otherwise you have a man becoming God, not God becoming man. Because we believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That he is God incarnate, fully God, fully man. And only God can reconcile us to himself. Only God can take on the sins of the world and take our punishment, take the punishment in our place. This was done only through Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He didn't just become the Christ. He is the Christ. And this is what John is saying here. He is not just a man. He was not just a good person. He was not just a prophet. He was the very Son of God. And he died so that we might live. And he defeated sin and death and overcame the world. Neither sin nor death could have a hold on him. He took what the world had to throw at him and he brought it to its knees. He stood in victory. He brought evil underneath his feet. In Dane Norton's book, Gentle and Lowly, he references an illustration given by C.S. Lewis in regards to sin. So here's what Ortland says. C.S. Lewis made this point by speaking of a man walking against the wind. Once the wind of temptation gets strong enough, the man lies down giving in, and thus not knowing what it would have been like ten minutes later. Jesus never lay down. He endured all our temptations and testings without ever giving in. He therefore knows the strength of temptation better than any of us, only he truly knows the cost. So when you feel like you can't overcome something, when you feel like the world is against you, remember one, your faith is overcome because it's Jesus, and Jesus is overcome. He knows that temptation. He knows whatever you're facing far more than you could ever know because he never gave in. He saw it through to the end. He never laid down. He kept going through that wind. He kept going through that temptation. He saw it through the end, and he was victorious in the end. Again, we overcome the world not because of ourselves, but because of the one who has conquered. One commentator noted, it is not the man, but his birth from God which conquers. It's all about Jesus. That he has to be the Christ so that he is the one who's overcome the world and that through him we can love and obey God we can love our brothers and sisters we can follow his commands it's all intertwined it all works together if you have your Bibles open again look to verse 6 John begins to give us three testimonies that all agree that Jesus is God and this is where it might get a little confusing for some 
because there, there are even different ideas on what the water and blood mean here. But most would now agree that the water is in reference to Jesus' baptism and that the blood is to his death on the cross. And essentially, John is combating that heresy I told you about earlier, that Jesus was a Christ going through baptism, not after, and that he was a Christ when he died. He didn't stop ceasing to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior. And this is why I say it's important that Jesus was the Christ going through the water, and he was still the Christ when he died, when his blood was shed. To, not, to deny this would make Jesus simply a man. And just so you know, water and blood are also linked to, to the Levitical priests in Israel. Water is for purification, and blood also rep- represents redemption. To deny this would also deny the purifying and redemptive power of the salvation that Jesus gives us. It's very important that you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Belief in Jesus is anything else is not a saving faith. Going down to verse 9, John says that we should accept human testimony. He's building a case here. And this is likely in reference to Deuteronomy 19.5, where it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. So a single witness is not enough. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So John is saying, listen, you're going to accept the testimony of two or three witnesses from men. And here is God himself giving you three witnesses, the water, Jesus' baptism, the blood, him through death, and the spirit, truth. God has given you three testimonies. If you can accept the testimony of men, then surely you can accept the testimony of God Almighty, of the creator of the universe. This is the one that we need to believe in. This Jesus Christ, he is the one who we have placed our faith in. He is the one who has overcome the world. He is the one who delivers and saves. And Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God. And this isn't just our words, but the very testimony of God himself to the world. The creator of the universe is telling you all about his son and who his son is. John Stott said, it is God who testifies to his son in history and the water and the blood. And it is God who testifies to him today through his spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit continues to testify to us today. It continues to tell us of who Jesus is, of who we are in him. He is the spirit of truth. He continues that testimony today. And if God is telling us something, if God is giving a testimony to the world, then we should take note or at the very best believe what God is saying. Otherwise, like in verse 10, we made God to be a liar. John says, if you don't believe, then you made God a liar. And I've heard people say that Disbelief can't be that bad. Just not believing can't be that bad. You know, they said, you know, I'm not going to hell because I don't believe. I'm going to hell because I do drugs. Or I'm going to hell because, you know, I, I cheat on people or I've stolen from people or I've done all these bad things. I drink and smoke, like Newfoundlanders say. You know, that's why I'm going to hell. No. The truth is that disbelief is that bad and you're going to hell 
because you don't believe in the Son of God. You're going to face punishment, eternal punishment, because you don't believe in the Son of God first and foremost. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him, in Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Like I said, it's not just disbelief because by not believing, you're saying that God is lying to the world. You're saying that God himself is not telling the truth and that you as the creation know better than the creator. That's what you're saying when you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Does that seem like something God should just brush off or not hold so seriously? Not at all. John Stott again says, unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied, it is to be deplored. This whole passage is centered around this son. All these things they said are intertwined. Placing our faith in Jesus means we can love God. Loving our brothers and sisters means that we follow God's commands. And we all do all this because Jesus is the Christ, because he is the Son of God, because he did place He did take our place on the cross. He did bear our sins. He did bear our punishment. He did overcome sin and death. Faith, obedience, and love are a result of the Son. It is He who has overcome the world, and now we overcome the world because of Him, because through Him we are now born again. We are now made sons and daughters of God. So we love our brothers and sisters by loving God and obeying him. Number two, we are able to love God and obey him because our faith has overcome the world. Number three, our faith has overcome the world because it's in Jesus Christ. And number four, Jesus Christ gives eternal life to those who believe. Verse 11 says that this is the testimony that God gives. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And 1 John has led up to this whole point. Because in verse 13, John gives us his purpose statement that he has written these things so that you might know you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That in believing in him, you have been given eternal life. And verse 12 is very straightforward. If we have the Son, then we have life. Makes sense. But if we don't have the Son, then you don't have life. There is no in-between here. If you believe in the Son of God and you have eternal life through him, or you don't, and you suffer the wrath of God. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way to God except through the Son. All faiths do not lead to the same end. Whenever I've talked to my Muslim friends, they almost always say we believe the same thing. We believe in love. We love. We believe in serving people and treating people well. We believe in one God. No, ultimately, we believe the same thing. And I always look at them and I say, do you believe Jesus Christ is God? Because to them, that's blasphemy. They believe he's a prophet. How dare a man claim to be God? And they'll say no. I say, well, that's a huge issue there. Obviously, we don't believe the same thing. So all faiths do not lead to God. It is only possible through the exclusivity of Christ. Through Jesus alone, through the Son of God alone is their salvation. 
which is why John is saying it's so important that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. He has to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Otherwise, that faith is not saving faith. We can't just say Jesus was a good person. He was a prophet. He might have been the Son of God. No, either he is or he isn't. That's it. This letter was written so that we might believe in the Son of God and then know we have eternal life. And how great is that message? That you did nothing to earn your salvation. God initiated himself, sending his Son. So God the Son bore the wrath of God the Father and then gives us salvation, gives us eternal life as a result of it. This is what we get through following Jesus. This is the Jesus we have placed our faith in. That's what John is saying. This Jesus is the real deal. He's not a false Messiah. He's not just a man. He wasn't just someone who was indwelt by a Christ consciousness or something up there who came down on him. No, this is God, the Son, who came in the flesh to save you. The world and its passions and desires cannot win over our faith. Eternal life, even death has been defeated, has been overcome. Eternal life is not found on this earth or within ourselves, but only in Jesus Christ. This is the only way we can be saved. And listen, he doesn't promise you, eternal, you know, an easy life. Yes, his commands are not burdensome, but like I said, we will struggle. We will likely face trials and temptations. But you can overcome through him. He does give you eternal life. He does promise that you will be with him for eternity. Believe in the Son of God, the one who bore your sin and paid your punishment on the cross. If you're here and you haven't believed in him, if you haven't turned to him and confessed your sins, if you don't believe he's, he's the Son of God, then you've already been told what the result is. There is only eternal life. There is only salvation through this Jesus Christ. Through him and him alone. In Calvary, I want you to know this morning that you have eternal life and that the world cannot win over your faith. Okay, whatever may come your way, no matter how hard your faith may even be to seem, seem on some days to love those around you, to be like Christ, or that things aren't working out, you've lost your job, you might find you have even a terminal illness. Your faith has already overcome that cannot undo what Jesus has already done. You don't even have to have confidence in yourself, but be confident in the one who you place your faith in, in Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of our faith. John 10, 27, 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you are his, the world cannot take that away from you. Doesn't mean your faith can't be weak or that it won't wane on some days. But as long as you believe that Jesus is a Christ, that he did pay the price for you, that he is the son of God and you are his. You know you are his because you love God. You know you love God because you follow his commandments and you love your brothers and sisters. All of this is only possible through Jesus Christ. Those odds, 
in the beginning that I talked about that are stacked against us, in this case, there are no odds because Jesus has already won. The world has already been overcome. It's like I quoted earlier, when you find yourself in the middle of that trial, of that struggle, in the middle of that conflict, you can stop and say, no, Jesus is already overcome. My faith is not in myself, but in he who has already overcome. It's all about Jesus Christ. So again this morning, we love our brothers and sisters by loving God and obeying him. We are able to love God and obey him because our faith has overcome the world. And our faith has overcome the world because it is in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ gives eternal life with him to those who believe. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just want to thank you for this word. I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here, oh God. Lord, may we leave this place trusting in you. May we leave this place knowing that if you love us, then we are to love others, that we are to bear with each other. Father, that you would guide us, you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, and that we would know that salvation is only possible through belief in you. That we would know that we have to believe in you, that you are the Son of God, that the testimonies you give us of water, blood, and even your Holy Spirit, which is living and testifying now, that we would know and trust that you are the Son of God, that you have accomplished already the salvation for those who would follow you, that you have already overcome the world, and that we can turn to you when things just seem too tough. And Father, may loving our brothers and sisters and following your commands not be a burden, May we truly love each other, serve each other, come above our, what we want and look out for the desires of those and the needs of those around us, oh God. I ask this for myself, my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. In your name, Jesus.